Let's take our Bibles together and look to 1 Kings 19. If you go about a third of the way through the Old Testament, you'll come to some first and seconds, like first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and then the Chronicles. So when you find those ones and twos, you're in the right spot. Uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 19 as we're going to finish this narrative of tell me the story again of Elijah. Nothing is more paramount than God's honor and glory. In fact, Elijah, the man of God, was willing to lose everything in order to protect it and to project it. A couple of weeks ago, I began sharing the story of Elijah, who had a ringside seat in this great battle between the God of Israel, the living God, and the false god, Baal. If you remember, it was thought that Baal had the power to bring rain. But after three and a half years of the prophet of God saying that there would be no rain, and there was no rain, and then by the prayer of the prophet of the living God actually asking for rain and God sends a deluge, I think everybody understood that Baal was no God and that there was only one true and living God. So there on Mount Carmel as the prophets were there watching what was unfolding. The people of Israel were there watching it as well. They all fell on their faces and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, Jehovah, He is Elohim. He is God. In God's goodness, He had turned the hearts of the people back to Himself. At Elijah's prompting, King Ahab hopped into his presidential chariot motorcade and headed over to his winter retreat home in the Jezreel Valley, where King Jezebel was awaiting news. Now, I'm not sure the news exactly she was waiting for, but what she got infuriated her. The king declared that Elijah had actually taken all the false prophets of Baal and killed them with the sword. She sent a messenger to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, knowing the threat against him was real, Elijah fled for his life, and he headed down south. In fact, he headed to the most southern part of the promised land, a place called the Beersheba, it's the um, southern part of the, the land that is actually inhabited by the people. And he attempts to go away from her. Now that land is a, is a rich historical land. Maybe you know the significance with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all having history right there. He leaves his servant there at Beersheba and he actually moves a day's journey into the wilderness and he finds a broom tree and he lays under that tree and he prayed this it is enough now O lord take my life for i am no better than my father's wow what a prayer that is i think what he's doing is verbalizing this inner turmoil that he has he Except himself experienced God's great movement there on Mount Carmel, that, that range of mountains that uh, have been the gathering place. He had watched Israel experience that as well. But in the end, he surmised that his life and his ministry would end up no greater than those who had been prophets before him. 
he had failed to turn the people. It seemed that Jezebel's influence was way too strong and the king was way too weak to lead the people into genuine, lasting revival. Now this scene reminds us that there in ministry and in life are great mountaintop experiences and at the same time there are low places, extraordinarily low. Those hallelujah moments that you and I have are exciting, enriching, and they are encouraging to us. However, there are other times when great drought of loneliness and despondency strike us with the same vigor like a punch in the spiritual gut. The highs and lows of ministry and life ebb and flow, sort of like the tide coming and going in the Gulf of Mexico. We have high points and we have low points and we have repeat again. I think what we're learning in this text, though, is that we need to seek to find the presence of God in the midst of both the highs and the lows. Where is God? What is he doing? What is his purpose in the midst of it? In fact, when facing difficult days, maybe we ought to take our cue from Elijah who learned over time that he should prayerfully voice his feelings so you and I should prayerfully voice our feelings cares and frustrations to God just vocalize that the Lord is not needing your words in prayer it's not like he needs to know what's on your heart he knows what's on your heart he knows your thoughts he knows my discernment from afar that's what the scripture says But you and I need to vocalize our prayers. You and I need to communicate them to God and as we're communicating them to God to to let us reflect on those truths that we are saying, the, the realities of our thoughts, the realities of our emotions, the frustrations, the despair. Voice those things to God. Elijah is doing that. He he is very authentic in his prayer to the Lord. And then ask and seek to discover the Lord's perspective and his presence in the situation. I think often we ought to say, now where is the Lord in the midst of this? Where is God in the midst of this suffering or this calamity or this circumstance, whether it's in our own household or in our community or in our nation or in the world, we ought to ask, what is God's perspective on this? What does the Bible say? And where is God in the midst of it? That's that's a great place for us to be. And then finally, we ought to affirm God's call for our life. What is that purpose that God has for us? And in that, how can we honor him and bring glory to him as we execute that which God has called us to do? Elijah is doing just that. Moses, one of the greatest servant leaders in all of the Bible, had those same moments of despair as well. And when he was overwhelmed and frustrated with the people of Israel who were rebellious and idolatrous, he vocalized those frustrations with the Lord. David felt despondency at times, sometimes for years at a time. The season was long to him, and he too would reflect much of the songs that you and I read in the book of Psalms are in that moment of despair for King David. Jeremiah, as well, was one of those who has identified as the weeping prophet for the contemporaries in Jeremiah's life. They considered him the doomsday prophet. How'd you like to be that, the doomsday preacher? (laughs) He was always communicating differently than other people. He was communicating the judgment of God that was impending. It was imminent, 
And he was telling the people that. Now, there were false gods who were saying, no, 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 peace, peace, everything's, everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was saying, oh, no, everything is not okay. And the whole nation seemed to turn against him because he was the one that was telling of this judgment. It was a heavy burden for him to carry. In fact, in that, that little seven-chapter book called Lamentations, we read about that, those times in Jeremiah the prophet's life. I'm particularly interested in the first 20 verses of chapter 3 of Lamentations. You, you might turn there and might just listen to my words because in this moment, Jeremiah is brokenhearted over the judgment of God that had come against Judah and their repeated sins and their, their unwillingness to repent of those sins. And, and he knew if they were unyielding in their sin that God would bring his judgment against them. And yet he warned them over and over and over and they refused to listen to him instead they listened to the false prophet who were just always declaring everything's going to be okay don't worry about your sin in the end it was proven that those false prophets were only after monetary gain i can't think of many false preachers out there today that are not in it for the money it just goes hand in hand and Jeremiah, in the overwhelming sense of despair that was in his life and in his ministry, this low place begins to call out in lamentations. Listen to a portion of that. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance is perished. So has my hope from the Lord remember my affliction and my wanderings the wormwood and the gall he's talking about the bitterness of life there my soul continually remembers it and it's bowed down within me boy the picture of that the very being the essence of who you are internally bowed down because of the misery and the pain and the suffering that's that's jeremiah but then verse 21, there's a shift. Listen to the shift. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord endures. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. What challenging words that is for us. Because the circumstances were remaining the same. The calamity did not end in Jeremiah's life, but the prophet had stopped to consider God's presence, God's perspective. And what he saw was the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. He saw the covenantal God, the royal love of God, whose loving kindness never ends. And that brought shift to him. He had internalized the suffering and the sorrow and this inner wrangling, this turmoil within his very spirit. And then he had this radical shift in his perspective. Mind you, nothing changed externally, but his mind and heart began to consider the steadfast love of God, and he regained hope. Now, we could spend the rest of our day today talking about others in the Bible that had these highs and lows beyond Elijah, beyond David and Jeremiah. But we could talk about Hannah and Job and, and, and many, several others. But in fact, what we find is the sufficiency that they rested in God. 
what you and I have discovered in Christ Jesus. So we should learn from them. I noted three things as I was just reflecting on the lives of people like uh, Ezekiel and Job, thinking, voice our thoughts and our feelings in prayer to the Lord, just like Elijah did. Just voice those things to God. You don't have to hold those in quietly. Voice that to God. Get alone in your prayer closet, shut the door, and let the Lord hear what's going on in your heart. And then reflect on the character and the word of God. God's character does not change regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we feel about him. His character and his word does not change. He is forever immutable. He's unchanging. The seasons come and goes, the highs, the lows, the the ebb and flow of life. It is all moving and, and turning, but God remains the same. So just reflect on his good character and his word his promises and then profess his love and grace bringing hope to ourselves and to others who walk in repentance it's what all those guys and ladies were doing that we're reading about in the scripture now let's pick up the narrative in verse 5 again elijah has traveled as far south as he could go from jezebel and he is in the southern part of israel and then he finds himself going a day's journey into the wilderness. He left his servant uh, behind in Beersheba, but he has moved into the wilderness and he lays under a broom tree and falls fast asleep. I, I don't know about you, but in those times that are overwhelming to us emotionally, those times when we're spent spiritually, it's probably that you and I have a physical manifestation where we just want to go sleep. Just, it's part of the way God has made us in our flesh. There's Elijah. Falls asleep in the wilderness. And an angel of the Lord touches him and says to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake of bread on hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and drank and he lay down again you can just sense the physical despondency it's part of the way God has made us body soul spirit when we're anguishing spiritually it touches us emotionally it manifests physically and in any of those other three it happens as well we find that Manifesting itself in Elijah at this moment. Perhaps he laid down wondering, would this be the place that God would take his life? Would this be the place he would die? Now, there's a lot of uh, wrangling over what that actually means. Uh, some say that Elijah suddenly had a, a fearful moment in his life. He's thinking that Jezebel is going to kill him, and, and so he runs away. I, I don't think that's exactly what's happening. He is running away because Jezebel is going to kill him, but he's not fearful for Jezebel killing him. If he was fearful of Jezebel killing him, he would not have stood against 450 prophets. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what's going on here is he's saying, if anybody's going to kill me, God, it's going to be you. I don't want it to end so that she's victorious and she can proclaim that Baal has given her the ultimate victory in taking my life. God, if anybody's going to take my life, I want it to be you. I'm not so sure that my life in ministry is making a difference anyway. So, oh Lord, why don't you just take my life? I think that's where despondency has taken him. And yet God is there. 
<laughs> Elijah doesn't even know it. While he's asleep, the messenger of God is there preparing for him, awakening him. Arise and eat. So I don't know exactly what Elijah was thinking. Maybe one day he'll tell us when we're in heaven together, but I do know what God was thinking, and I do know what God was doing. He was sustaining Elijah. I want you to hear this. God will sustain you as well. In your lowest lows, God will sustain you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, God will sustain you. I know that's what he does. He sustains his sustaining grace is perpetual to us. You are a beloved son or daughter by faith in Christ of the Most High God. He will sustain you. Some of you are weary and tired. Perhaps sickness and disease has wrecked your body and your spirit. Maybe loneliness has enveloped you like a shroud around you. Potentially confusion and doubt impairs your thoughts and impedes your purpose in life. Or maybe you are discouraged and ushered into isolation. Be assured that the Spirit of God is seeking to sustain you and to make the presence of God by his eternal word known to you. So like Elijah, you may not know the presence of God in your despondency, but I can tell you he is present and he is nurturing and he is caring for you. He was fast asleep, had no idea that God was moving toward him. And the angel of the Lord came to him again, 1 Kings 19, 7, 8, and 9, came to him again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He doesn't tell us when this transpires. I think it happens right here. Elijah thought he was going to lie under that broom tree and just die there. <laughs> no, no. There is more to your life. There is a journey that is too great for you, Elijah. If you, if you thought you couldn't do it in your own strength up until this point, wait till you see what's coming. There is a journey too great for you. Arise and eat. Verse 8, he arose and ate and drank and in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, he moves towards Horeb. That's Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave, and he lodged in that cave. I think it's intriguing to me that Elijah comes into that desert place, and he says, it's enough. In essence, he is saying, I can't do this anymore. I know in my own life, and you probably know in your life, when you get to that point with God, I can't do this anymore, it's as if a reckoning comes to us, maybe then, maybe later, where God said, never thought you could. Never thought you could. That's the reason why you need my grace. That's the reason why you need my word. That's the reason why I'm giving you my, my faith. I'm, I'm moving in you. I'm stirring in you. And, and let me just kind of bring this to a conclusion with that thought not only will he strengthen us Jesus is our strength and he's fulfilled it everything we need is in Christ there's nothing that he has held back saying okay I'm going to give you 98.9% of all that you need and you got to do that other little bit no no Christ has given us everything you are not short one iota you have all in Christ so he is saying I can't do this anymore 
And when the angel turns to him a second time and says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you, I think what he's saying is God's missional call cannot be achieved in your strength and in your abilities alone. So rise and eat. Receive that which I'm given to you. God's call and his commands require his empowerment, which he has fully given to us in Christ Jesus. If you've got your phone, you might want to take a snapshot of that screen because there's going to be a time you're flipping through your photos and you just need that reminder. We have fully everything we need in Christ Jesus. So when Elijah could not see past his present state and current circumstances, God's messengers pressed him to move forward and empowered him to make the journey. So there was a meeting, and there was a message, and there was a mission awaiting him at Mount Horeb, which you and I know to be Mount Sinai. There, the divine opportunity awaited him. It required him to be enduring and persevering. I think we should pause and just remember for a moment that the enemy of God and us wants to stop us short of God's completion of the task that he has assigned to us that he wants us to be short and he will use every necessary weapon against us to thwart us from living fully unto God's glory. And I implore us to not stop from reaching that which God has called for us and given us the empowerment to accomplish according to his glory. Elijah almost quit in despair. Discouragement had almost convinced him to stop running one mile short of a 26.2 mile spiritual marathon. It's as if he is in the red zone spiritually and he's taking a knee though he is three points under and it's second down and goal to go. And so the spirit of God is moving through this messenger to say, no, 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 don't stop. There is more to be done. And that is for you and me. Don't stop regardless of your age. Don't stop. There is more to be done. How do I know there's more to be done? Because you're still breathing today. So the Lord had not intervened, had the Lord not intervened, Elijah would have missed so much. I mean, think about what's coming if you know the narrative. What's coming is he is about to meet God. That's a big deal. He's about to hear the very voice of God. He is about to discover that there are other faithful followers that he had no idea about. What's coming is that Elijah is going to know and complete the assignment that God has given to him. He didn't even know the assignment yet. And yet he will come to discover what the assignment of God really is for the rest of his life to the last moment of his life on earth. What's coming is that he will be able to disciple well his successor. What's coming is he will be taken into heaven in a divine Uber, a fiery chariot. One of only two people who've ever walked the planet as a human being and move into heaven without dying. He was about to miss all of that. Some of you in your discouragement, in your weakness, in your brokenness, in your downheartedness or your disease are wondering, is there anything more? And I can tell you there is much, much more. 
But God intervened, instructing the prophet by the messenger to arise and eat. And there would be so much more that Elijah would be called to do. But he could not do it in his own capacity. He needed God's grace. When you and I think that we can't do it anymore, I think we're poised to move forward in the grace of God. You and I know that everything we do that is valuable, eternally so, requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're just living life in your own strength, in your own capacity, in your own means, in your own intellect, in your own insights, I can tell you you're not living life by faith. So ask God to give you that which you ought to take and eat of his word and live out that in the expression of faith. So God pushes us and he empowers us beyond what we can accomplish in our own strength and ability, forcing our dependency on him, yielding to him daily, especially in times of weakness. And in that moment, we can discover his grace and his glory. So some of Elijah's most significant experiences will come after this spiritual, physical, emotional low place that he finds himself. For those who are alive in Christ, God is present in the seasons of despair in the times of discomfort, he is leading and empowering us to arise and, and to go forward in the call so that we may experience more of his goodness and the greatness of his reward that will be given to those who are faithful. So don't give in to dejection. Don't give in to despair or depression or discouragement. Doing so takes you out of the race before you cross the finish line and yielding the victory to the enemy. Don't stop continue Elizabeth Mills wrote an encouraging song to the church nearly 200 years ago and it's the lyrics that ring in our mind once we hear them it stirs us in faith listen to the lyrics of her song simple but profound we'll work till Jesus comes we'll work till Jesus comes we'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. I like the words of the, the verse there. No tranquil joys on earth I know, no peaceful sheltering dome. This world's a wilderness of woe. This world is not my home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work when? Till Jesus comes will work till Jesus comes then we'll be gathered home that was what Elijah's call was it's our call it's every follower of Christ working till Jesus comes now mind you that is the opposite of the cultural's message will work Till 65 will work. <laughs> you got that idea in your mind? Uh-uh, uh-uh. We'll work till we're gathered home. We'll work then. Until then. And then the rest is going to come. Then our tranquility will come. I want you to hear solidly that God will empower you with whatever capacity you have, God will take it 
to the measure needed to accomplish his call in your life. Elijah arose and ate, and he set out on the journey to Mount Horeb, which took him 40 days. Now, honestly, it should not have taken him 40 days. This is a four-day journey. It's 90 miles. It would be like us, Now I know you can't imagine this, but it would be like us being in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and walking to Gadsden. You say, well, I don't want to do that. Okay, you may not want to, but if you had to, it would take you about three to four days to do it. But it's taking Elijah 40 days, and that's because though he is crossing the desert and though he is ascending Mount Sinai, that what normally would take four days is taking him 40 because God has a testing period for the prophet. In all those 40 days that we read about in Scripture, it's a, it's a season of testing. And there is a, a movement that God's Spirit is bringing upon him that's contemplative and it's introspective and it's resolving these internal issues. And uh, in the wilderness for that 40 days, God is going to work that into Elijah to bring that about. So upon arriving, he takes refuge in a cave, perhaps the same cave that is the cleft of the rock that Moses was tucked into on the same mountain with the same feelings of despair and despondency. And there, God is going to reveal himself, but before doing so, he has a question for him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now remember, he is there by God's beckoning. God has instructed him to go there. So this is not a question of why are you here. The why is already a response of God's command. I'm here because you told me. So what he is asking of him is way more introspective than that. He is asking him, what are you doing here? What is it that you are doing? And he's wanting him to contemplate and to communicate what is wrangling has been uh, bringing to light over the last 40 days. What has been going on? And here's what the prophet says. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The prophet is expressing the root of his anguish here. Israel had forsaken the honor and the glory of God, and it troubled the prophet that it was so. So he believed that he was the last man standing with God, standing there waiting, but yet Jezebel is, is seeking to take his life as well. He struggled, wondering, who is it that's going to defend the nature and the character and the glory of God? By the end of his time at Mount Sinai, he would, it would be apparent to Elijah that God did not need Elijah to defend his his honor and his glory he would sovereignly extend judgment against the people who had been so rebellious against him and he would sovereignly extend mercy to a number of them that Elijah had no idea about so Elijah was carrying a burden that God had not required him to carry that might be some of you his requirement for Elijah was pretty simple be faithful be faithful with the word that I've given to you. Be faithful with the assignment that I've given to you. That's the burden. Be found faithful. 
And even in that burden, he gives us sustaining grace that we might act in faithfulness to him. And so Elijah has a burden that God did not require of him. He's carrying this. And the prophet was instructed then by the Lord to go stand there on that mountain before him. And if you remember the narrative, he stands and before the Lord comes this amazing strong wind that sweeps through the mountain so much so that the Bible says that rocks split in half and after the wind there was this massive quaking of the earth but neither in the wind nor in the earthquake was God in it and then a raging fire swept through that area but yet God was not in the fire and then after the fire there's this sound of a low whisper and the second he heard the voice Elijah wrapped his head reverently in his cloak because he knew the Lord was there. Now others may be looking for God in spectacular ways, earth, wind, and fire, but the Almighty often works quietly, sometimes indiscernibly so. And I think that was the lesson for Elijah. Even though he quietly is at work, he is still powerfully at work. He would accomplish his work in Israel by staying the course, that same course that he had told Moses on that mountain that he would bring about five centuries before. He would stay the course. His word had been declared. The covenant had been extended. The judgment would come. The grace would come. Exactly as he said. That, I believe, is the whisper that Elijah was hearing of God. Now, Elijah, as you know, had taken this, this burdensomeness upon himself. So the Lord is asking him to think about that again, and he's asking the prophet the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he says verbatim, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek to take it, my life away. Are you burdened with the sinfulness of the people of God? It's a burden that is to be shared not carried only Jesus can carry that burden it's a burden to be shared where we sense a heaviness Kay and I were reading articles last night about the waverness of people who claim Christ and we were just so taken aback by what we were reading and there was this deep sense of regret in us about the name of God and the glory of God the honor of God that was called into question because people take on his name and proclaim to be this or that and have come to find out they live a lie and man they seem to discredit God I think that's the burden that Elijah has he's burdened for the glory and the honor of Christ for the Lord for the word of God the people of God he's burdened for that now I know only Jesus is able to carry the burdens of people's sins but that does not mean that we ought not be anguished over the sins of people 
So Elijah is concerned for the Lord's covenant, as he says, for the altars and for the prophets of the Lord, and rightfully so. He's so burdened that he may have given up on the situation, but God had not given up on the situation. Listen to God's righteous character as he's communicating this. Listen, he is unfazed by the rebellion of Israel. His character is unfazed by that. He would deliver judgment against them. And he would even extend mercy to those who would be the remnant. He would preserve the covenant as he said to Moses he would do so. So the Lord gave Elijah instructions. And here's the instructions he gave to him. I want you to go and anoint Haziel of Syria, Jehu of Israel, and your successor, Elisha. And over time... God would execute his judgment against those who were rebellious and sinful against him and he would destroy them but he by his grace would offer mercy to 7,000 who had not bowed the knee or kissed the Baal what is he saying there he said Elijah that which you're burdened for that which you are carrying I will accomplish I will fulfill and I'm doing what you don't know about yet, but God is revealing it to him. And I will extend mercy to 7,000 who are just like you. That's the goodness of our Lord. With compassion, the Lord led Elijah to unburden himself by asking these probing questions like, what are you doing here? And in the end, the troubled prophet found out not just what Elijah was doing there, but what God was doing there. Can we just pause here to reflect for a minute as I come to a close? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You might say, well, I'm so burdened about this or that, or I feel so heavy over this or that, or I feel so despondent in this or that. God wants you to reflect on this, communicate that to him, and then ask, where is God in the midst of this? Where is his word in this? And what you'll find in the midst of asking yourself, what am I doing here? You'll find, what is God doing here? Where is God in the brokenness of the world? What is he doing? What has his word said would come about? What do I know historically about him and what do I know he has promised in the future? I can trust him in that. He has always been trustworthy. Perhaps you're discouraged and overwhelmed by something that's going on in your life or the life of people around you or locally or in this country or this world. Rest assured, God is at work. He is fulfilling and accomplishing according to his word. He will bring it about. Like Elijah, he is sustaining and empowering you and me to finish well. So get back up. Take and eat of the word every day. Meditate on it. Be engaged in the word with prayer and run the very purposefulness of God for your lives. And sure, be concerned about the sin of the people in the church and others, but press on to the missional call that God has given you and sustained you with great grace. Let's pray together. 
would you just for a moment reflect on the faithfulness of God just think in your life historically so and in your particular life the faithfulness of God Father you are always the same your character has remained true and right and pure and noble you have proven over and over to be so trustworthy you are amazing in your strength and power and glory and holiness faithfulness and we declare to you great is your faithfulness O Lord Lord we testify that your character is righteous you are perfect in every way in the execution of your judgment and in your mercy we bless you for that we thank you that your spirit is meeting us right now where we are calling us to authentic prayer testing our faith and enduring ministry with your sustaining grace i pray that in the midst of this you'll find us responsive in faith we say yes to you in every aspect of our life yes to you and we pray that brings you honor and glory in jesus name